Have you ever had a mystical experience that just seems so real that you could swear that you were walking with your ancestors beyond the veil or you were really experiencing yourself in another life? Today's guest, Kristen Von Fox, shares her mystical experience of healing her ancestry, part colonizer, part indigenous, as well as meeting Pocahontas. Join us to find out more. Before we start this episode, I, Carrie Hummingbird, and I, Akeem Sami, want you to know that you are invited. You're invited to to join join Soul Nectar Nectar Tribe. Tribe. If you like what you hear on Soul Nectar Show, you will love being in person with us in Soul Nectar Tribe. We invite you to check it out. First 30 days is free. Right now, go to carryhummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com, forward slash membership, and sign up. We'll We'll see see you you at our our next next tribe gathering. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, to the great mystery beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably to a deeper understanding of ourselves and the world we live in and who we are and what we came here to be. I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird, and I love these conversations. They are so powerful for me. They really give me personally a little sacred space in my week to connect with other people who are also connected to the sacredness within. It's just such a blessing. And so I'm so grateful that each one of you is joining us in sacredness as you're listening, connecting your hearts with ours. I'm so blessed by that. I feel your presence, even though I'm recording this long from whenever you're listening to it. So one thing that's really up on the planet right now, and it's interesting because I feel like social media and television and movies, they all sort of start pointing at the thing that the collective is looking at. And so lately, what I've been witnessing with my dear partner, Akeem, is we've been watching this show called Frontier. It's like a weekly show. And wow, how interesting that it's revealing the the kind of conditions of the frontier and the people involved and the different cultures clashing and, you know, the introduction of a money system and just all the various elements that were that were coming together and, and fusing and alchemizing and destroying and creating during that time is potent to witness that. And to be so from this vantage point of what I would see as like the arc at the other end of that destruction and that creation cycle is an opportunity to, to look back and review and say, wow. From this vantage point, we really see how we could do things very differently and we need to do things very differently. And so this conversation is going to really be about the healing of that divide, the healing of the indigenous and the colonizer. How do we do that in our world today? 
And my guest today to help with this conversation is Kristen Von Fox. Welcome, Kristen. Hi. So happy to be here. I'm glad to have you on the show. I'm really excited to hear your story about Pocahontas. Pocahontas. Okay. So Jess, it was a sneak preview. So Kristen is a shamanic practitioner, an author, a speaker, the shamanatrix. She empowers individuals who've been through trauma to reclaim their power and passion through an ancient healing modality called soul retrieval. She combines psychotherapeutic practice, holistic nutrition, and art therapy with shamanic healing techniques from indigenous societies to assist individuals in personal transformation so they can feel more vibrant and alive, releasing those patterns, tapping into the fullest potential, and having a really fulfilling life and enriching life. And so I'm so delighted to have Kristen here. Kristen had me on a uh, summit she's putting together, and I just thought, you know, I want to share your story because it's so powerful. So wherever you want to begin, Kristen, just really love to hear your experience and an insight into this really collective theme of healing the indigenous and the colonizer. How do we heal this history? And I know you're, you're doing it in your own life. Yeah, and that's such a deep question that's so relevant for all of us now because it's a moment in time where we all have to come together. The prophecy of the rainbow tribe coming together, people of different backgrounds, different colors and ethnicities. It's time to heal the earth. It's time to rise as the collective and not be so divided like so many forces are trying to divide us right now and pin us up against each other. So how is there a way that we can come together? And I was attracted to shamanism about 12 years ago. My background was I was raised a fundamentalist Christian, like a very white world, but I would walk into the hallway upstairs by my bedroom and the bedrooms with, you know, my family members. And there were all of these pictures of our ancestors. And I was always drawn to this one picture of this Native American woman. And I kept pointing to her and be like, who's the Indian lady? Who's the Indian lady? And my parents would tell me, and at one point I we inherited this beautiful family tree that had Pocahontas on it. And they used to say, you know, you are part Native American and you're related to Pocahontas. And she was my 14th generation grandmother. And as I got into shamanism and started learning the power of the seven generations and that whatever healing work we do in our life affects not only our path, but the seven generations behind us and the seven generations before us. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that I got involved in a karmic relationship with my most recent ex-husband, who I love dearly, and we got divorced to break an ancestral curse that we didn't realize we were activating by getting married to each other. And that's when so many layers of father issues and deep, dark traumas from my father's lineage, which is also the lineage in which Pocahontas comes through. So there are all these layers that I was being faced with in this very difficult partnership. And I helped free him from an ancestral curse, took all the energy out of me because I happened to be the only one that could ignite it and poke it. And sometimes as healers, we become those that trigger the wounds for others so that they can be activated and healed, right? It's the, um, it's the alchemy of the shaman. It's the dark night of the soul where we have to do this work. And so it was through that relationship 
that I realized that I needed to step away from the dynamics that we were co-creating. And one of the visions I got, I had done some work with a Navajo elder. I went out on the reservation in Arizona and we did something called a blackening ceremony. And I called him up. I knew him because we had worked together in Brooklyn when I used to live in Brooklyn and had a lot of connections to some of the indigenous teachers that would come through some of the communities that I was involved with. And I called him up and I said, this is what I'm going through. And I was called to reach out to you. And he said, you need to do the blackening ceremony. So I went to the reservation. We did a ritual where he covered my body in sheep's fat. And then we adhered plants that had been struck by lightning. And I found that it doesn't matter what the plants are, but where the lightning strikes. And then the first plants emerge. You harvest those plants. You do a sacred ritual. There's many steps to it. He facilitated this ritual with his daughter, and we essentially covered my body with these herbs. And then I laid in uh, confinement uh, by myself for 10 days as I was processing these herbs and processing and reflecting on my life. And I started to see the patterns that I had been playing out. And as we all do, we, uh, we play out and attract more situations that are going to repeat patterns until we heal them. And of course, we have to go through uncomfortable experiences again and again to shed the layers like the snake sheds its skin so that we do the deeper work that's needed so that we can grow and expand and come more fully into our true selves. And so this was a chapter when I was in this healing energy. And I remember working through some of the difficulties in my marriage that were reflecting some patterns with my father and his lineage. So this was really just coming right up to the surface. And I remember we were supposed to close the ceremony with medicine. We were supposed to work with grandfather and there was a death in the family for this Navajo elder. And in their tradition, if there's someone who dies, then you can't touch the medicine. And so I was left wide open for a little while. We thought it was going to be a little while. And he said, oh, I'll be upstate New York and you can come to the ceremony because that was part of the work we were doing. So we just can't touch the medicine while there's been deaths because uh, that creates a veil that's thin and the dead can attach. So it was really important that we stayed away from the dead or anything that had to do with it while we were opening up for this ceremonial ritual to close the ceremony that I was in. And so, of course... COVID happened. So everything was put on hold. There was no traveling. And I went a year where my energy was very wide open before I ended up redoing the ceremony with the herbs that he had sent me home with. He gave me the rest of the herbs from the blackening ceremony. And with his guidance, I recreated the ceremony in upstate New York, where I moved to during the pandemic. And during that ritual for the 10 days that I was encased in the herbs in my home office in as much isolation as I could be, That's when my guides were telling me that I needed to break the curse for my ancestors. Now that I had supported my husband at the time, now ex-husband, the the end to the ritual was I helped him break some of his ancestral curse, and now he had to help me break mine. And what I needed to break was set the women free in my family who were in limiting relationships where they weren't allowed to fully be themselves and grow and were more conditionally loved. Because in a sense, my ex-partner and I were playing out these patterns that were so indicative of how my dad and my mom played out patterns and even what was passed down to my sister. And I could even look back to my grandmother and my grandfather, again, along that line of the Pocahontas lineage. 
And so I had no idea what can of worms this was going to bring up. Besides, the message was, you need to consciously divorce your husband so that he can break the curse with you and set you and the women in your lineage free. So I knew that I had been triggered by this relationship. I wasn't able to do all the healing that I wanted to in that dynamic because I was repeating trauma cycles and uh, my whole thing is soul retrieval. I love soul retrieval. It's it's the piece that changed my life. It's it's sort of like the soapbox that I stand on because that has been the biggest number one shamanic tool that has brought me healing and brought me to my body and brought me this whole new essence and energy of life. And I found that I was getting really triggered by childhood wounds that I had not healed, that needed soul retrieval, but I couldn't do it in the dynamic with my ex. He was almost acting as if my father and I was getting scared and disowned negotiating. And I was like, wow, I can't work with people and help other people if I'm in this space where I need healing. And so the message was divorce this person, close the chapter. Now it's a solo journey where you need to heal yourself. And so I moved away. It was a little bit of a rough coming out of that relationship, but he loved me so much that he said, I trust you and you helped free me from my ancestral lineage curses. So I'm going to help you. And if this is what you're getting every, every night when I was in the blackening ceremony, my guides would come in my dreams and hand me divorce papers. They'd like hide it somewhere and I'd open up a binder and it would be like the divorce degree. So I was like, oh gosh, I really have to leave this man who I'm still madly in love with to be able to do the next level of my work. And of course, that's exactly what happened. And during that journey towards coming back to self, soul retrieval on self, lots of heart healing. It took about a year and a lot of transition and housing and finding my place in the world. Ended up moving further north upstate, like dropped him off along the way and continued up north. And it was around the time of the solstice when I did the blackening ceremony, the solstice before, when I was guided to really learn more of the ancestral story behind Pocahontas. Of course, like most people know the Disney movie and, you know, break into song and the colors of the wind. And it's such a beautiful story in the way that Disney tells it, but they did know there was a dark history and I began to stumble into it. And there was a book that I read about the true story of Pocahontas that was the story that her lineage orally passed down. And in, I think it was like two, the early 2000s, some of the Powhatan people were like, we need to tell the story. It's really dark and uncomfortable. People need to hear it. I'm getting chills now already. <laughs> so I read this book and I became very, very sick. And it was sad to know that I am in relation to Pocahontas born out of rape and abuse Pocahontas's true story was that she was actually previously married. She was married to an indigenous man, had two lovely kids, and there were a series of men who were interested in her in whatever way, I'm not fully sure, but I think that there was some level of inappropriate desire for her. And she was also an indigenous princess. And so there were marriages that would happen between the indigenous as ways of creating a peace treaty. And she was sort of a pawn in that game where she was kidnapped and then she was forced to marry my ancestor, Thomas Rolfe. I'm considered a red Rolfe because he had his white family before he married Pocahontas. But it's, you know, now that I've read her story and I know that she was abducted, held at ransom, she was kidnapped and she was raped repeatedly by multiple men. And she was actually like moved around from different houses overseas in England 
And so it's, it's hard to say, like, am I related to Thomas Rolfe or was it another man who was part of this collective who had abducted her that I'm related to? So to know that there's this path of like the colonizer and the white in me, I present as white, I'm 80% German. Most of my lineage is Eastern European in some way. But then I have these indigenous roots that I've always felt connected to. And I'm the only one in my family who chose to take this path. And this path has been really activated for me even more than it was a decade ago by understanding more of what was going on with Pocahontas. So after I read this book, I just felt so sick and just so upset about the injustice of the harm of the indigenous and specifically indigenous women who are being raped, murdered, kidnapped every day, all the time in many places around the world and trafficked. And there's just so much injustice around it that I felt called very strongly that I needed to go to the ancestral lands in which she would have lived to do prayers and to make peace. And there wasn't much clarity beyond I journeyed on it and I just heard, you are here to heal this rift and you have to go and go in the spring and make it a trip. And I love kayaking. So instead of walking the lands, it was go on the waterways, take your kayak. And my partner is part indigenous. He is related to the Mohawk tribe up here in upstate New York. And so Again, a message I got later was, of course, he was the only one that could help me in this process. By the way, my ex-husband was black and I had this moment in life where I was like, I can't marry or be with a white man because there was like all of this unprocessed grief that I didn't realize was part of this process that I'm working on right now and have been working on as far as uh, healing this ancestral uh, lineage within. And again, like merging together and making peace with that part of me that is colonizer because I, I am half of the men who took her and inseminated her, whichever one it is. We think it's Thomas Rolfe, but we're not fully sure. I'm sorry, John Rolfe. And then I'm part indigenous. And so as I learned the story and learned like the pain that her father went through, I began to see these patterns that played out in my childhood of being raped as a child and um, having to, to be separated from my family in a way that was really tragic and filled with grief and saw the powerlessness that her father had as chief because he didn't, it's almost like he had a big soul loss and he didn't know how to intervene and rescue her. And instead of going in and charging full speed as all of the other elders in the community supported him and said, we need to go rescue her. It was almost like he lost his power and didn't know how to. So he did nothing, which created even more heartbreak. And the story is that when she was finally being brought back over, she was sent with a sibling and a sibling's partner because she was a princess. So she wasn't going to go anywhere unescorted. So the oral tradition is that when she was on the, the boat coming back to see her father after several years of living in England, that's when they took her into a room and they poisoned her. They put something in her food and drink. And then her sibling basically saw her go through, um, like getting sick, uh, white foam coming from her mouth and essentially falling dead within uh, minutes to hours after the poison happened. And she was completely well and in great spirits right before that. So that was part of the tradition that was handed down to her people that she was murdered. This happened as a result of her going to these men who had kidnapped her, who used that as a way to have power and to take resources from the natives in the Jamestown settlement area, which is where Pocahontas was from. 
And so I got this message, you need to go to the waterways. And I didn't know what I was going to be doing there. Besides, I'll bring some tobacco and I'm going to bring some cedar and I'm going to sing some songs and bring my drum. But in another way, I was like kind of clueless as to, I just know I need to go there and I'm not quite sure what's going to happen next. And it was on day four or day five of this ancestral pilgrimage where I was on the final waterway. We were on the Mattaponi River, which was one of the rivers that I was connected to and felt like I needed to be on. For some reason, there was like certain waterways that are like, go here, go there. Okay. Went to the Jamestown settlement area. I got one of those like touristy Pocahontas sun catchers that was quite beautiful. And it was like my one relic with Pocahontas's name on it. And I, I grabbed it with me and that morning it shattered into pieces. And I had another glass bottle that just completely shattered. And for a moment, I was really sad because like, this is the only thing I have that represents me taking this trip as like a souvenir from the Jamestown Settlement tourist area. But I heard, you broke it. You broke it. Like I broke the curse. Something was had broken. And so I, I trusted that symbolism and instead was very happy about whatever this was that was moving in my physical world to, to show me that something was shifting, something was breaking which is what I want to do to break this ancestral lineage curse to, to make amends. And it was funny because my partner and I, uh, we love kayaking. We were definitely bickering on this trip. And this was the only time that we had sort of come together where we were on the river together because most other days he was fishing on his own in his own space. And I was like a mile down the river on the other side, singing my prayers and being in my private space. And this was the day that we were fishing together. We were right next to each other and everything was wonderful. I was taking selfies on the boat, you know, I was fishing and he had just caught a catfish. And I remember something was shifting in my body and happening when he was catching this catfish. I felt like my throat was starting to close up and something was shifting. I felt like I was feeling the fish die. And I had this moment of feeling like, oh, I'm not deserving of this fish and my I felt this sense of the, my ancestors saying, but we're providing for you, feeding you. Because on this whole trip, he caught so many fish. So we ate, we ate so well. And my ancestors kept saying, it's okay to eat the fish because we're feeding you. We're, we're providing for you. Like the bounty of the land is here because you are here and we see you and we acknowledge you. And it was during this moment when he was talking and I was sort of having this like energetic struggle with this fish, you know, gasping for air and being so empathic and intuitive and like, oh, I can feel it losing its air. And I'm judging this process of, can I eat this fish? I'm watching die. And also my guide saying like, please eat it. It's a gift. And it was in that moment when I felt a rupturing sensation happen on my right cyst or my right ovary. There was a cyst that was there. There was actually three. I felt one really big rupture and then two small ones right after that, right next to each other in my entire abdominal cavity. It just felt like someone took a water balloon and threw it at me, but inside of me. And I was wearing a dress. And so I put my hands in my uh, underneath to see if anything was coming out. And it was all internal. There was nothing that was discharging on the outside, but I was gushing fluids on the inside and it was really alarming. And my partner stopped in the middle of the sentence, looked at me and said, are you okay? Because as he recalls, my face completely drained of color, especially my lips. And that was at the point when I held my ovary on the right side and they said, something just ruptured. I think I'm going to faint. And then the walls started closing in really black around me. This tunnel vision of all I could see was a tiny little circle snippet of water in front of me. And I said, 
I'm going to faint now. <laughs> and as someone who faints when they lose a lot of blood, and maybe that was what happened because it, you know, all the doctors, I'm the medical mystery now. And I've gone to many specialists and gynecologists and no one actually knows what happened because this is, none of this is normal to them. So I had this moment where I was thinking like, this is how I die. Like my head is pummeling towards the water and all I see is water and nothing else. And my, my whole body just became very dysregulated and I felt so sick. And then I was out. And in my partner's words, what he saw happen here, and I'll go to where where I went, what he saw was I immediately went unconscious. I slumped over to the side. My boat began to tip and he caught my head right before it went underwater. And he said, if I hadn't been there, you would have gone under. And this whole trip, I had been calling to him and he could never hear me. And so thinking back at all the places that this could have happened, especially if we were on water, it was kind of scary to think, yeah, you know, I probably would have died. But he was there and he's an army vet and he's well-trained and, you know, supporting the human body when trauma happens. He just happened to be close enough to one spot where there was not a 30-foot drop. And we were up against a cliff. So there was no way to get out. It was only up and up about maybe 30 feet up and then 30 feet down. And at that moment, he said that he was able to get out of his boat. His boat and his cell phone began to float away down the river. He had thrown his fishing pole in and the fishing pole just happened to catch a branch that was sticking out of the water. So about 100 yards down the river, it was being held there from the current taking his boat down the river as he is trying to cling on to the one spot where he can stand to support me from going underwater. And of course, I have no idea what's going on because I have now been ejected and am now in this land of beautiful lights and colors. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced outside of like a medicine ceremony. Um, in fact, that's where I thought I was towards the end of it. But the first thing I saw was a big Native American face of a man, an indigenous man. And he could feel my anxiety because the last thought I had was, this is how I die. And he saw me and he was very calm and peaceful, but also very excited to see me. And he said, don't worry, you're not going to die today. And that's when he touched my solar plexus in this vision that I had. And he lit it up and he said, this is your spiritual awakening and he lit my solar plexus and I just began to beam light out of it. And then he said, this is an activation and a spiritual initiation. And then there were some wisdoms that came through very quick flashes. But I remember he was trying to bring my body to this euphoric state that was unlike anything I've experienced outside of medicine ceremony. And I remember like having this like pre-organized judgment in my mind of like he was bringing me to this like orgasmic state where my whole yoni and all of my feminine organs were like lit up in orgasm and then all of my cells went into orgasm and I remember like judging it and he was like don't judge this like there's no room for Christian judgment here like we're activating you and so once I surrendered to that I felt like I almost had like this kundalini wave go through me and my chest moved up in the vision and I was suspended in the air with my arms out and beams of light and bright colors like oranges and reds and pinks, like the sunset, the rich colors you only see at sunset, were filling the sky and these beams of light coming from my solar plexus. 
And then it sounded like down a really long hallway, all the way down to the side and to a door to the left down this very long, dark hallway, I heard this whisper of, come back, come back, come back. And the only time I ever went to this orgasmic state was in a Bufu toad medicine ceremony, which is essentially DMT, which I now believe, you know, in this near-death experience that I had, I was in this DMT sauce, right? Because the brain emits DMT when we're born and when we die. And then we can, of course, work with the plant medicine allies that can help facilitate very similar processes by allowing DMT to move through our systems and for us to experience that, that death and rebirth experience. And so... I thought for a moment, oh, that's the facilitator calling me back from the ceremony. Oh, it must be my time to come back and let the next person have a, a chance to be held in the circle. And I opened my eyes and immediately saw like my bright blue kayak and the bright blue water and heard the voice of my partner who was very concerned. And I remember like, oh, this world's horrible. And I closed my eyes and went back to the other realm of the lights and colors. And he was really trying to get me to come back. And I remember the struggle of, oh, the body hurts. There's a lot of pain here. Oh, I'm in a lot of pain. Oh, I want to go back because it's so pretty there. And so he, he wouldn't let me go back. And he really tried to keep me centered there. And it was probably about a half an hour until I was able to speak I couldn't even hold a water bottle. He had to just drip water into my face. And then after that, he tried to give me like a little mini cucumber to come back with. He said it was the cucumber test. That if you can hold and eat the cucumber, then you are okay to go back. But during the entire ride back, where I could not paddle because I was in so much pain, that ovary was really hurting quite a bit. There was these moments of Near syncope is what the doctors called it, where my hands and my feet would go numb, almost like shamanic breath work can do. And then my soul would start to leave my body again. And I felt this, um, almost like my body was trying to fly out and go back to the land of light and colors where it's so beautiful with the ancestors. And, and they recognized them as my ancestors. They were very immediately like, oh, we, we are connected to you. And I just telepathically knew they're like, we, we're, we're honoring that you came here and you did something. Like we're the proof. So. I remember feeling these near syncope episodes where I ha kept having to stop in the shade and try to get water, my, my wrist or my ankles into the water. And it went on for quite some time. And of course, I didn't have health insurance at the time. And I was traveling in another state. And I was like, don't take me to the hospital, which we eventually had to go about um, a couple weeks later. I'm not sure what happened, if there was an infection there or what was going on. But the pain continued for, it stopped for a little while. And I had some pain-free weeks and then it started up again. And the pain was traveling up my back and down my leg. And I was in the process of trying to get insurance instated, reinstated because I had moved. And that's the reason I didn't have it. I had canceled my old insurance in the city. And so it was a, a couple weeks later, I finally got a referral to go to one of the hospitals. They did some uh, ultrasounds to test and see what was going on. And it was at the end of that ultrasound, they basically said, well, we can't really see, it doesn't look like there's anything seriously life-threatening, so we're going to let you go, and the doctor will call you next week, because it was on a Saturday. And so, of course, now I got the, the, clear, the clear go sign, and we had the kayaks on top of the car, we were back in New York State, we were up in Saratoga, and we said, let's go throw the kayaks in. And this was, you know, the next time I had been in a kayak since this near-death experience, and so I thought everything was over, but it definitely wasn't. And so once we went on to this uh, long meandering creek, 
it was so beautiful. It fed into the river and we went, you know, a couple miles down this creek. And there was a moment when all of a sudden something shifted and I was like, oh my goodness, like, I don't feel so good. Like something's happening. And I started to go into these near syncope episodes where my hands would go numb, my feet would go numb. And the only time this had happened was right after I came back from the dead, essentially came back from this near-death experience. And as my hands and feet began to go numb, I began to feel my spirit lift out of my body. And it was like this out-of-body experience where I was like tapping on my body and saying, it's safe to be in here. Like, this is my temple and really trying to like ground my root in and tether myself to the earth because as beautiful as it was on the other side, I was terrified to leave again. And this like soul experience, it was just, I was very anxious and there was definitely a soul loss there that I had to go in and heal because I had absolutely left my body. And as I am hovering above my body now in this next body of water back in New York state, I had this experience as I was hovering above this. And by the way, these episodes happened every few minutes for the next six hours. And we could not move from the river because I was just not in a state to go. And I was like, crying and moving through all these emotions. What happened was I was pulled out of my body and I was hovering above it, yet I was still tethered and in it. And now all of my Native American ancestors came and they said, you started that work when you were on the Mattaponi River and we've come back and we have to remove you slightly from your body so that you can connect with the spiritual realm so that the rest of the healing can happen. You went to do this ancestral pilgrimage for a healing to come through and it's time for the healing. And so the first thing that happened was I saw Pocahontas and she was on my right side, as was her father. And there was great soul loss and great sadness in their land, in their community, and in their family and each of their individual souls. And what I was shown was that there was an activation and a soul retrieval that needed to happen for Pocahontas and for her father, and that it was connected to the soul losses. I I like to say when I work with people and do ancestral healing that someone in your ancestral line can be missing a soul part and that translates into how you're missing something. Even if it wasn't directly from you or or for you, it is meant to be in that lineage. And if there's a, a void, then that can be filled with illness or tragedy, toxicity, addiction, depression, the list goes on. Anything that's not truly our soul can be filled with other energies that like to to fill the void. And so I saw Pocahontas there and she showed me her immense heartbreak. She showed me how hard it was to leave her family and be ripped away, especially from her children, the husband that she loved, to be raped and abused. And she showed me this massive soul loss when she was raped. And so I was guided to bring soul retrieval for her. And as I did that, I saw her and her whole body like come down. And that's when they said, walk in. And they used the word walk in. And I felt her soul essence come into my body. And it was the sense of, I did the healing for her so that she could bring the healing for me and my ancestral lineage. And we did a healing for her father who had lost his power. It was like the same thing that played out when I was being raped and abused as a kid. My father had the pattern where he said, well, I didn't know what to do because I was raped and abused as a kid. And so like looking at this power loss that had gone through our lineage and how we were all connected to it, in a sense, we were able to find the origin or one of the origins of this tragedy playing out ancestrally. And so as this energy came back for her father and it came back for her people and it came back for her land that grieved her loss and grieved her absence, it was almost like all of this energy was like being downloaded into my body and they could feel it. And they used the word walk-in and they brought her and I felt like her whole essence as a complete healed being come into my body and that of her father. 
And then, of course, I came back into body. I was tapping and then I felt immense grief. And at that point, I turned to my partner and I said, I'm okay right now. I know I look like a mess, but I have to cry because these are the tears of my ancestors. These are the tears of the women, these indigenous women and this raping and pillaging and colonizing energy of take, 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 rape, 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 and not replenish. Just like what we're doing to the earth in so many ways, we're taking and we're pillaging instead of honoring the sacred mother and honoring our sacred mothers and grandmothers. And so as her energy came back in, there was a, a huge release of grief. And I remember like putting my feet in the water and grieving and feeling the water connecting me from the Mattaponi River and all of the waters that are connected. It was like the healing was coming full circle and it was coming for that region of the earth. It was coming for my ancestral lineage. And then another moment when I left my body, because I had about maybe 12 of these episodes of near syncope that would last about 20 minutes each. That's when I left my body again. And I kept getting information and healing in these times. It was very scary. But that's when I saw on my left side, and I know that usually it's like the left is the feminine, the right is the masculine. But in this case, it was um, it had shifted. And I saw all of these, the colonizer men. I saw the three men that I believe all raped Pocahontas and were part of the ones that like kind of trafficked her around in England and were her captors, including my ancestor, <laughs> John Rolfe. And I saw the three of them and they were so sad and they knew it's like someone had called out the bad things that they did and they were kind of sheepishly looking down at their feet and kind of shuffling a little bit and they said they knew what they did was wrong and that they were power hungry and they thought they could do whatever they wanted and they were asking for forgiveness and Pocahontas's father said grant it give them forgiveness it's time to forgive and to break this curse and so i offered them love and forgiveness and we brought some of their child soul parts back that needed to come back and then all of their mothers came and their mothers came and stood behind them and apologized and cried so many tears of just sadness for what has happened for the men as the collective with especially this like energy of the colonizers who take and rape and pillage and don't give back to the feminine and their mothers were there and they were just crying and asking for forgiveness and saying like, we are also sad. We also grieve this lineage line. And so as I was being called to bring back energy and essence for both of the lineage sides, there was like all of this energy being downloaded into my body and healing into my body. And then I felt myself go back into the orgasmic state. And even there was so much pain in my ovary, it was as if I was like orgasming through my womb space just by being and just by healing and sitting in this boat kind of half in body, half out. And my guides kept saying, you know, this is why you went with this man who was half indigenous. This is why you had to marry someone who was not white for a while. And like, these are all part of the path to heal this lineage. And that's when I think the biggest shifts happened in my life. Not only did that send me back to doctors and become their medical mystery, and it's been a period of healing and rejuvenating, but it was like, all of a sudden, my soul's purpose, which I was already in on, I was inching towards, was activated. And now I feel like there's access to even more of my ancestral lineage, but they're healed. There's a new empowered essence, whereas before there was a lack of essence, a lack of power, a sadness, a pattern, a grief. And now it feels like, and even as I've been doing this interview, and these, even as I was thinking about it in the shower this morning, it was like, Pocahontas is here and she, like so active and I feel like I'm being supported to live my mission, which is really to bring ancient shamanic healing tools to the colonizers, to the people who are ready to wake up so we can all work together and to heal that rift 
instead of continue it because we all need to come together and these ancient tools are so effective. I started out as a clinical psychotherapist and creative arts therapist. And I left that realm because when I discovered shamanism, it was like all the tools I was given were just not enough to heal the soul from trauma. We would dance around all the other aspects of how to strengthen the healthy part of the ego, how to build up other skills, but never address the soul wound. And so once I found shamanism and soul retrieval specifically, that became my life's mission. And so I feel so supported now. It's like so many things have lined up. So many synchronicities have come together. I've met so many people willing to support me on this journey now, whereas the energy blocks that were there because there was a block in my ancestral lineage. It was like, I didn't have access to this level of support and connection. And now it feels like I'm a horse running out the gate and all of the things are aligning. And uh, I truly feel blessed and that there is a deeper, more full soul mission that stands behind me. And they align with the soul mission. I already knew what my soul mission was. Uh, to be a spokesperson for soul retrieval and to bring it back to the people and to heal the people and to heal the land and to heal the rift. And now it feels like it's like on speed. It's like, it's like mega charged and it's mega charged with spirit and, and that healed essence of doing that soul work. And so, you know, that's sort of the place that I've been at for the last couple of weeks. This only happened about eight, nine weeks ago at this point. So it was, it was the journey of my summer time and what a beautiful activating journey it was because in a sense, it was like, I was sort of feeling a little bit depressed and lost and I knew my path, but I didn't have the soul parts. I didn't have like the oomph that I needed for my ancestors. I was very aware of the pains and needed to heal them. And now that I was brought on the spiritual initiation, you know, it just, it, it encourages me to, to share this, that sometimes we get intuitions and just follow them. They can sound crazy. We don't even know why we have to go to this place or what we have to do, but to go through the motions when spirit calls your soul. And it may look insane to someone else, but know that that's how the miracles happen. And so just trusting that miracle of showing up to these ancestral lands and not knowing what to do, but just being there, I, I never would have had this experience. So I'm just so grateful for that. And whew, the ancestral lineage comes through. That's so powerful. Wow. What a story. That's amazing. That's powerful. I don't even know what to say. I mean, I feel like I want to synthesize it for the listeners. I think what I can really relate to about what you've shared is that there's so much power in surrendering to the messages we receive beyond the veil and to putting ourselves in a space where we can actually receive those mystical visions, receive that insight, receive even like the nudges, the words, the body experience, allowing that to all be what it is. And and what, what I'm also just kind of thinking about is all the moments that I've been in one of those processes and my partner's been holding space for me. So I want to say, I'm not sure how many men are going through these experiences, but I definitely know women that are going through these experiences that are very mystical experiences and that are embodied. And there's just all kinds of things going on that look wild, maybe to the other person or, or they don't know what to do with that. And the more we can just hold space for it, knowing that there's something really sacred happening, that's what's really important, that holding space, that um, it doesn't have to, like ceremony doesn't always happen in a ceremony, like in a nice, neat context, you know, like, oh, now we're in ceremony. We, we closed the doors and everyone took their medicine and now we have the journey and now everyone goes home. We're done. No, sometimes it happens 
completely randomly, like what you're talking about. So being a sacred partner to somebody going through that experience, really important to hold space and just be present and make sure the person's safe and held and supported to go through that. What a powerful thing to leave your body like 12, 15 times, you know, and and come back and do healing over and over again. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of like the the way of the feminine, right? The feminine is coming back and almost like this retribution to come into balance with the the masculine and how we've been out of balance. And women aren't the feminine essence is not neat and tidy and organized. It's expansive and all over the place and unraveling and emotional and you can't close the door on that and make it a neat, nice little thing. And I think that as you as you said, you know, a lot of women are going through this and. I do believe that men are going through it too, almost like an activation of their divine feminine within, because we have both. But there's something to the messiness and the unpredictability and the expansiveness of the feminine that's really trying to make her way into balance, I think, at this time and moment of of life. Yeah, and it's powerful to um, heal on behalf of your ancestry. That seems like most people... I don't know. The more I talk to people, I hear these things that people say like, oh, we want to heal all the traumas of our ancestors. And, you know, oh, they almost like they made a bunch of mistakes and now I'm suffering for it. So I want to heal that. But that's not, I feel like there's a different energetic and especially in the story that you just shared. And there's a different energetic that I felt on my own journey with it is that our ancestors went through tremendous experiences, like really big stuff. And those experiences they had value in the sense that they made us strong. They made us wise. They, they um, put strength in your spine, strength in your bones. Like, you know, I think about my ancestors being migrant farm workers, you know, I mean, bending over, picking cotton, you know, all day long for years at a time, right? That is like tremendous perseverance, determination, faith, strength, you know, and what, what Pocahontas went through, you know, being shipped across the ocean and, and the, the amount of self-mastery it would have taken to remain in her, her, herself through all of those experiences. It's kind of, um, it's really impressive actually, you know, so like integrating an ancestor like that. Yeah, that's powerful. How does that feel in you? I mean, I know this is a process that that's going to go on for a while, I imagine, because my process, you know, we had talked briefly about my own experience on going to Cherokee Nation and having, begging for a shaman <laughs> for a couple of years in a row. And finally, somebody helps me in this guy and he flings this soul part through the back of my, my back of my head, which I now know is the ancestral portal. And all of a sudden I have this remembrance of the Trail of Tears, like, oh my gosh, it was, I don't know, eight years of healing that now have been put into that, like eight years of years of healing and integration of that soul aspect of myself, which might've been actually me in another lifetime and, or simply an ancestor, but definitely an ancestor. Cause that's the only thing I can enter in your ancestral portal, right? It's like <laughs> ancestors, you know? So, okay. This is an ancestor of mine. That was a peace chief on the trail of tears. And like the experience that he felt, the pain he felt, I felt viscerally in my body as if it was me, as if I experienced those things. I I don't know if that's what you've experienced, but it's like, if I'm getting from what you're saying, like it felt like you, that you were experiencing it, that real, you know, that, that, that intense. Absolutely. I mean, sitting on those waters, I knew it wasn't mine because I was actually quite happy and it was a beautiful place that I was at and I was alive. Right. And, and, 
the amount of grief and sadness and tears, but I could also see like, these aren't mine, but I have to move this through my body. And it felt really important to like, keep my hands and my feet in the water while this happened. It was so interesting because my partner, like we didn't have smelling salts. We didn't have that much on these kayaks, but he knew, you know, tether her to her body, what would bring her back. So he picked me this beautiful lotus flower and the lotus flower had a long cord all the way down. And then he picked two other small lotus flowers and I put them on my body and it felt like my womb and then these ovaries. And then the womb had this umbilical cord. It was almost like I had an umbilical cord all the way to the earth. And I kept feeling like I need to smell this flower to keep myself in body and tethered. It feels, smells so good and keep this, this cord, this umbilical cord, this stalk of the flower in the water because it felt like I was connecting to my ancestral waters. And now was the moment we're going to heal everyone. And I had to have this activation, be connected and have that confirmation and then have this massive ancestral soul retrieval for multiple iterations of both levels of my ancestry, the indigenous and the colonizer, because they both had wounds that needed to be healed. And it was so interesting that the, the men in my family, that there were all these like very young little boy soul parts that needed to come back uh, that had been dissociated and disconnected that represented their care, their innocence, their ability to be tender and loving and nurturing that had disconnected and they became warriors and, you know, raping pilgrimages, I can't talk, uh, colonizers. And so it was almost like their innocence came back. But as this energy was moving through like so much immense grief and she kept bringing me back to this place because we kept going down the river and I'd have to stop and have these dissociative episodes again where, you know, I wasn't fully dissociated. I was just kind of hovering over my body and just trying to breathe and like keep my body aware and awake and conscious while my soul hovered and spirit was just kind of hanging out with me in the sky being like, we really do need to bring this energy in and we need you to hover between the worlds. This is a gift. We are stretching your soul so that this immense healing can come through. This is another activation. And it was just very clear that this wasn't mine, but now I feel, and as we've been talking, I feel like Pocahontas here and I feel her essence and there's a realism to what happened. There's a sense of that was unjust, but the level of grief has been repaired. And now it feels like a sense of power because it truly was her power that left due to these traumatic situations in many iterations to be separated from her family, to be um, harmed and objectified, to be uh, murdered and not taken seriously, and to be in a foreign world where she did not know how to connect or to live. She was very dependent on, on her captors in a sense. And so... I feel like as I can access her now, she's a little irritated at what happened, but she knew that she had to be that character to go through this. It's almost like she knew it was part of her soul's mission. And although it wasn't great, she didn't love it. There's so much power there that I feel like I can access. And I feel like now as I'm moving forward on my path, I have so much more support because she's there like holding it up and and reminding me that I have a, I am of royal lineage in that sense. That it's time to step into my power and be like the priestess, the queen of what I do, and to really, almost like in a way, like avenge her death by by living, by teaching, by living on, by being successful, by and being successful in the sense of letting people know the story, letting people know about shamanism, not for fame or fortune. 
but to be the beacon of light so I can help more people so that more people can come to these ancient ways and heal with these ancient ways and then heal their ancestral ways with the ancient ways because it's not just about the here and the now. We also get past life soul parts back and as you're you're experiencing and with White Eagle, whether that's ancestral or that's past life and it's up to interpretation as, as you continue to integrate that piece. But there's something to be said to there's a portal open now where all of our ancestors want to help and to think that we were the ones to be born now, that we were chosen and destined, all of us, every of the listeners, that we were supposed to be on this earth right now because our ancestors chose us as the best candidates to do the work we need to do right now in this moment of clusterfuck of the world. <laughs> Because because we need it. And so knowing that we are, in a sense, the chosen ones, that could have been another ancestor in another order, but it's us. And so what are we going to do with that? And how are we going to connect to our ancestors who want to support that? And that's just a beautiful feeling to feel her by my right side, hanging out, like almost like half in me, half to the side of me, like almost like she's like hovering over my arm. So we're kind of like cuddling, but we're also intermingled. Uh, just what, and then her father on her other side and just feeling this, grace of you are so supported. You have a team now that you didn't have because the team was down and out. The team was hurting and now they're healed and now they're ready to to be on this mission with me. It, it feels great. Gosh, that's so beautiful. I love that. I love all of that. You know, what's interesting is like the, the part of that that I'm working on now is like, <laughs> uh, because we have these embodied experiences, right? And we have these visions and we have these I don't know, inner voices are like you're saying, you feel the presence of. Now I feel like, you know, White Eagle is fairly much integrated within me now. So it's like one, we're just one being now. It's not like two anymore. But what's so fascinating is that I've been called to, you know, go to these indigenous tribes, go to the reservation. And White Eagle would like me to go to these reservations and speak. And there's something that's going to come through and I don't know what it is. And so I just need to go. And so I uncomfortable with that because it's like, like you were saying, like, it's like, oh, I'm going to show up on ancestral lands and I look like I look, I mean, because I look even more white than you look. I mean, I look really white, not to compare whiteness, but I mean, I'm going to show up on these lands in this body and they're going to look at me like, who is this redheaded stepchild, <laughs> basically? <laughs> So I'm, I, I was just timid about it. So I, I said, okay, ancestors, I'll send an email. So I <laughs> sent an email to the Cherokee nation, to the Oklahoma tribe. I haven't heard anything back. So it's like, of course. So now I just like, what, just drive up there? Just had to drive up there and like walk around. I mean, what do I have to do here? So that's, that's kind of my next step. I think I'm avoiding it personally. Mm -hmm. I think I'm in avoidance. <laughs> Well, and it's that piece of, well, I had planned it several weeks out and I thought, you know, do I reach out to those from yeah. the, the lineage? Do I, do I reach out to the people who wrote this book who are like clearly her ancestors as well? Because remember, she also had children in the Native American lineage and then married a white, was forced to marry her second husband who was the white man. By the way, they killed, I, I think that they killed her husband. I, I, they may have killed her children as well. I don't remember that detail, but I know they killed her her first husband who was a warrior. But to to go back and I was thinking, oh, well, who's gonna, you know, I don't, I, I've been estranged from my parents. I don't have access to that document that like literally had her name on it. 
which blew my mind when I was younger. And I keep thinking about reaching out to an uncle to be like, can we get pictures of that? <laughs> can I prove this? Because, you know, even working with one of my Algonquin elders, they only, well, they wiped out so many of the indigenous, it's hard to do blood tests to identify. And then he also said that you can only trace back 12 generations and prove it with these uh, genealogy tests, these DNA tests. And I had one of them. And so, you know, he says it's almost impossible if you're, if you're more than 12 generations and in my case, 14 to even prove this. And in your case, like, you know, how do you prove that and not look like you're kooky in the head to say like, my, my soul is asking me to do this, but sometimes you just have to go and know that the miracle is there to meet you. And you don't need to know what it looks like, but it's going to find you. So, you know, what if you took a week off and what if you like bounced around and made some connections and like, who knows, but, and that's sort of how I felt like, okay, so I'm going to these rivers, I'll pick a couple ones that resonate and we'll go kayaking and enjoy it as like white people, you know, white presenting people, even though my partner again is, is part indigenous, we don't look at, uh, we pass as white. And so going to these places. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I just brought my rattle. I brought my drum. I just said the prayers. And that's when the miracle happened. It happened after I was done all of that. And then we were fishing and then we were just playing. And then that's when, you know, everything shifted. And so my encouragement again is I keep feeling like, like this is the message for the collective today, which is you get the soul intuition. You just have to go and you don't have to figure out how spirit will always figure out the how but you just need to go with a little bit that you know, knowing that there's a miracle that's about to meet you. And it might look like the way you think it might. It might look different. Beautiful. Well, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. I love everything you just shared. I know that you um, you do a bunch of healing work with people, soul retrieval work with lots of different techniques. How do people get started with you? How do they learn more about you? Well, they can visit my website, theshamanatrix.com. Uh, I also am on Instagram as the Shamanatrix, and I have an awesome psychic protection symposium and 10 day challenge that Carrie is one of the featured guest speakers in, where we talk about how to ground and center your energy as an empath and intuitive, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what energetic energies you are sensing, and really how to activate your shamanic and intuitive superpowers. And I do a 10 week shamanic training online, and I do in person teacher trainings as well. And so there's many different ways to work with me. And you can find me on my website, theshamanatrix.com. But, oh, and so are is at the heart of everything I do because I just can't get enough. I love it. I love it. What a beautiful story that you shared with us today, Kristen. And I hope that everybody listening was just as in awe as I was. I was just sitting here like, wow, what else is she going to say? Wow, what else happened? That's so cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. Thank you, Pocahontas and all your ancestry for being with us. And um we're going to go ahead and uh, ask everybody to share. Please share this out, like, subscribe, share, comments, all that. We want to hear what you think, what you what you got from this. What did you receive? What insight? What awareness? Do you want to work with your ancestors now? Is that something you want to explore? How can we do that? So opening that up. And we're going to just give you kisses now. So you want to help give me kisses to everybody? Mm-hmm. Okay, here they come. Mm-hmm. Love you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time on Soul Next Year Show. Bye, guys. I'll see you next week. Bye for now. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. 
Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Take a sip from the drip of nectar From the source of who you are